Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. This is December 17, 2013, and this is our final live uh, production of 2013, which means, of course, Today is the day that we have back with us on our page two, Case Sprinkle Grace, uh, always one of the top-rated uh, uh, folks here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach. We're actually going to take a look at her statistics uh, when we get to uh, page two to see if she is the number one for uh, the last year or if she's been edged out, but she is always in the top ten. Uh, and Kay Sprinkle Grace will be with us here on page two. Uh, as always, as the uh, announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so you can call us at 347-324-3080. You can ask questions of our page two expert. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room, so you can join us there and ask questions there. Or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start off with page one news.
As I mentioned, uh, today is uh, the last live production of the Nonprofit Coach for 2013. So I want to thank everyone and the tens of thousands of listeners uh, that we have had this year. This has been the largest. Uh, this is our third year of production of the Nonprofit Coach Show and has grown uh, tremendously, over 100% uh, growth in listenership this year. So I want to thank everyone uh, who joins us on a regular basis here on the Nonprofit Coach. We will go be going on. On our winter hiatus, our holiday hiatus uh, after today's show, and we will be coming back to you live on our weekly Tuesdays at 12 noon Eastern show on January 14th. And later on in the show, I'll give you an update on some of the exciting guests that we have already scheduled uh, in the new year. But first up, as always, here on Page One News, you can join us over in the radio links, which you will find at tedhart.com. And over in the radio links today, you'll find a note from IT Business Edge uh, that's helping you prepare for 2014, which is a bit of our, our topic or our theme today is helping you prepare for the new year. And this is sort of uh, a combination of holiday gift time and uh, business uh, preparation for efficiency. And these are 10 gadgets to help you boost your productivity uh, in the in the new year. So uh, these range from being very fast uh, in your use of your uh, laptops or your uh, tablets uh, to being able to scan and print on the road, uh, being able to be more productive uh, with uh, uh, streaming media. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, really fun gadgets here, uh, including I just really loved the IDAP i4 universal charger. When you see it, it's not only just cool, but just a, a really terrific um, uh, 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 little charger there that uh, can help you charge uh, multiple devices. And of course, most of us are tied to uh, so many uh, different devices these days. Uh, so check all these out. Some of them are really fun. Uh, none of them are terribly expensive. Uh, check them out at tedhart.com. And that's the 10 productivity gadgets to prepare for the new year. Uh, next up, uh, I think also apropos to uh, the holiday season um, and year-end planning, uh, big news uh, uh, coming from MicroEdge uh, in their partnership with TechSoup. Uh, Faith-based 501c3 organizations can now receive Microsoft donations from TechSoup.org, as well as donations of Office 365 directly from Microsoft. This includes churches, synagogues, and missions uh, with a focus on worship and evangelism, from operating systems to office productivity suites to graphic design software. Uh, this uh, uh, was prohibited in the past, now is uh, available to you. Uh, get all the details over in the radio links today. You do have to register with TechSoup. Uh, to show that you are eligible, and then make your request. There's also a special donation offer uh, for Microsoft Office 365, which those of you who are familiar is the online version of Microsoft Office. Uh, you can find all of that over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Uh, next up here on page one news comes to us from Mashable. Regular listeners of Mashable know that we consider that one of the smartest uh, and best websites on the web. Today they're sharing with us some insight into Facebook's like and share links. Uh, and this is uh, uh, insight into the global nature of Facebook. 80% 
of those who are using the like and share functions of Facebook live outside the United States. Uh, 21% come from the Asia-Pacific region, 13% from Latin America, 21% from Western Europe. Uh, Central and Eastern Europe adds another 18%. So you can see uh, all of Europe combined uh, is uh, 40% of the entire global market on Facebook for like and share. Um, less so for Africa, only 3%, Middle East 2%, in uh, Canada has a carve out of its own. So if you took uh, North America uh, into uh, consideration, added all those numbers together, by comparison to the 40% for all of Europe, North America comes in at 36%. Uh, so those are some uh, statistics for those of you who are working on your Facebook strategy. Just a reminder here on the Nonprofit Coach, we do share with you uh, the six pillars of success uh, for nonprofit organizations. Number one uh, is a well-designed website full of unique content, easy to navigate, uh, that is both mobile accessible and web accessible. Uh, and number two is a solid guide star strategy uh, and uh, so forth. And, and uh, actually, uh, Facebook comes in uh, at number four or five, depending on your strategy, behind LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, nonetheless important, it is in the top six, but that brings us to this monthly's edition of the Guide Star Minute, and we have Lindsay Nichols here with us for the Guide Star Minute. Uh, hey, Lindsay, how are you? And uh, by the way, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, Ted. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be on your last show of the season, and it's been a, it's been a great ride this year, so thanks for everything. It has been a great ride this year. The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show continues to grow, and, and I think in, in no small measure to the important messages that you and the folks at GuideStar uh, bring to my audience on a monthly basis. So uh, as uh, you just mentioned and I mentioned at the top of the show, this is our, our holiday show, our annual show with yep. Kay Sprinkle Grace. Uh, and uh, so this is our last live show. So take us into the new year. Help us understand what's new at GuideStar and how can we be successful. You bet. So one of the things I wanted to mention um, is this new product called Simplify. And I know you and my colleague Jenny Taylor spoke very briefly about it last year, but um, because I know you talk about the GuideStar strategy, and we are so thrilled about that, and I know your listeners in particular know about GuideStar Exchange, I just wanted to bring this up because uh, Simplify is essentially uh, making grant-making efficient. So instead of filling out multiple applications for grants, if you participate in the GuideStar Exchange, grant makers can then take your data, and those are participating grant makers, can take your data, and you don't have to fill out multiple grants. So it's a really important thing to be part of the GuideStar Exchange, which again is free, and it gives you the ability to enter in your data and maintain it in one place and it really just simplifies things, which is why we called this whole process Simplify. So I wanted to mention that because I think it's going to be ever important in 2014 to really you know, think about your data, think about what grant makers want to see from you, and make sure that's in the GuideStar Exchange. Well, one of the things that, that uh, I love about GuideStar is, is it, it, it does really know where that cutting edge is, and I do think that one of the, uh, the themes that's going to uh, be very identifiable for nonprofits in 2014 is going to be efficiency. Uh, and I yeah. think that the new GuideStar Simplify program 
ties right into that to help you be uh, more uh, succinct in your, your ability to submit yeah. information, uh, to be able to be more transparent, which is always impressive uh, to mm-hmm. those who are making grants. Uh, as you know, I serve as the CEO of CAF America. Uh, we're a large international grant-making uh, body, uh, and transparency and in information and that due diligence process is extremely important. So I don't think that we can talk enough about the importance of Simplify and what that brings not only to the marketplace uh, but to uh, that GuideStar strategy. And as you know, I consider a, guide, a strong GuideStar strategy be to, to be the number two most important thing the smart charities can do online. Um, so tie that in in terms of the overall strategy because the overall strategy, of course, starts with getting registered and submitting the information um, uh, as part of the GuideStar Exchange. And that's important yeah. because from what I understand, you really cannot maximize, simplify if you haven't participated in the exchange. That's right, exactly right. And, you know, again, it's it's – it's free, and we've been adding more and more to it because we know that nonprofits, you know, really do want to be efficient and effective. So we're making it a, a kind of a one-stop shop resource so that nonprofits don't have to go to 12 different sites. So, you know, we included Charting Impact with it now, which really helps nonprofits talk about their impact in a standard way. So there's kind of a standardized, you know, benchmarking process across nonprofits. And it's really easy to do. I mean, it does take a little time. We understand that. But we think it saves you a lot of time at the end. And if you just go to guidestar.org slash exchange, E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E, there's a step-by-step process. And, you know, the first things you need to do is enter your employer identification number, your EIN, and request permission to modify your report, your nonprofit report on GuideStar. We approve those every single day. Um, we just need to make sure you know you're a legitimate um, person with the nonprofit, but it's a very quick process. And then you're really just you know going through the different eight categories and giving us the information. And you can give us as much or as little information as you want. There is absolutely no requirement, of course. But depending on how much you give us, we give you either a bronze, silver, or gold level a logo, which really just does talk about your commitment to transparency. Those logos, the GuideStar Exchange logos, have become the symbol of transparency. And to your point, Ted, that's just hugely important for donors and supporters and funders. And it's kind of the, the baseline now for nonprofits. You need to be transparent about your inner working. So, you know, depending on those levels, we also give you a ton of benefits, um, different fundraising avenues, um, discounts. We just entered into partnership with Eventbrite. So if you're doing events, there's really steep discounts. So we try to make it worth your while on, on many levels. Well, and, and uh, picking up on a theme that we shared uh, here on page one uh, regarding the change in policy with Microsoft and uh, their partnership with TechSoup regarding uh, availability for donated services for uh, religious-based or faith-based organizations. Uh, can you just fill in the blanks for folks a little bit that if you're not in the GuideStar database, which principally means you're not file, you're a charity but not filing required to file a 990, so you're not in the in the database. Um, just share the procedure for faith-based organizations that are not filing a 990, not required to. How can they benefit from all of the benefits of having a GuideStar strategy? Absolutely. So, right, you know, there's a, there's a chunk of data we're missing, and we, you know, kind of round that up as in churches and schools data, but that's 
absolutely right. And just because we don't have information about you doesn't mean you can't get it to us. You essentially have to email our you know, three-person nonprofit services team. That's nposervices at guidestar.org, and they'll give you step-by-step -step instructions. But we do need to see your letter of determination and any other content you want to give us in terms of um, your EIN issuance letter, your year founded, and, your, and for religious organizations or faith-based organizations, your denominational listing. If you can email that to us, we will get it up within three to five days, and you will absolutely see yourself there and you know, be part of this massive database of you know, tax-exempt organizations across the country. It's, it's a really important thing that you do have this presence because we don't just keep your data. We push it out to a ton of different partners, you know, Facebook causes, Schwab Charitable Trust. So if you want your organization and your faith-based organization to get in front of the right people, this is a great avenue to do that. And um, so just to remind everybody, that's nposervices at guidestar.org? Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Okay, terrific. Yeah, and that is so important because um, there are so many benefits, so many websites that are powered by GuideStar that oftentimes if you are um, a faith-based organization and you're not in the database, you want to be raising money, you might be inadvertently deemed as not an appropriate or actually not even a charity, maybe not worthy of charitable financial support if you're not in the GuideStar database. That's how important it is for funders to be able to find you there. Yes, absolutely. And we know that people have been turned down because, you know, for, for grants or, you know, other kinds of things because they're not on GuideStar, and that's not our goal. I mean, we absolutely want you to get the attention you need. So once we get those kind of three basic pieces of information, you can then go in and update your report as you'd like, and you can really make it what you want. You can give us an impact sentence or not. I mean, it's totally up to you. We, of course, advocate for total transparency, but the, the important thing is to get your organization listed first and then to go from there. And we really do work with you. I mean, we do have a three-person team, and then that's for two million nonprofits. So it takes a day or two usually, but we, we respond to each and every single email, and we absolutely want to be your partner in transparency yeah. and efficiency. Yeah, I, I, I just there's so many different aspects to meeting the challenge of having a strong GuideStar strategy. I think one of the things that we want to work with you on in 2014 is find the appropriate time, but I think we should do a full show on a tutorial on how to maximize GuideStar because there are so many new services. Uh, we try to cover as much as we can here on page one, uh, but we're limited in the amount of time that, that we can uh, accomplish that. So um, let's work on that together. Um, Lindsay Nichols from GuideStar, thank you uh, for jo joining us and sharing with us a little bit more than just a GuideStar minute today, but I think <laughs> it's hugely important uh, to uh, uh, charity's ability to succeed in 2014. Thank you so much. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Uh, back here on page one, before we get to our wonderful page two expert, Kay Sprinkle Grace, um, we are back over at TechSoup just to let you know that you can save up to 25% on your telephone and communication services. Uh, some wonderful nonprofit discounts available uh, from TechBridge. NP Talk and Better Voice Unified Communications. Um, so I do want to encourage uh, everyone who, again, uh, the touch phrase here is efficiency and effectiveness. Uh, we want to make sure that you have a link to that. You'll find that over at tedhart.com. Uh, click on radio links. And with that, it is now my pleasure to bring 
K. Sprinkle Grace. Sprinkle Grace is one of those people in our industry who truly does not require an introduction. Uh, she is hugely important throughout our industry as a thought leader, an educator, and a consultant. She's based in San Francisco uh, and provides workshops and consultation to local, regional, national, and international organizations in strategic development planning case and board development, staff development, and other issues uh, related to leadership in the fundraising process. She's an author of several books. She is one of the most popular uh, uh, speakers here on The Nonprofit Coach, so much so that she has agreed to pre-book herself uh, as our uh, page two expert each and every time we gather to celebrate the holidays and to prepare for the new year. That day is today. Welcome back, Case Sprinkle Grace. Thank you, Ted. I am so delighted to be here. Doing this show every year is something I look forward to so much. And for me, the holiday season is such a natural alignment with philanthropy. I am one of those people who loves the holidays. And I guess it probably started when I was a child. Uh, I remember my very straight-laced Victorian aunts with their perfect posture and looking absolutely disparagingly at me, who I'm sure was, you know, a wild little red-haired girl at that time. And But there was something about it. Um, you know, the, the tree, which wasn't one of these elegant trees that we have now. No, it was a tabletop, and it was scraggly, and a very worn-out Santa at the top who'd been on top of trees for about 50 years even then. And my other grandmother used to fill men's stockings with, you know, men's socks with our Christmas stockings. I knew by that time that there really wasn't a Santa. <gasps> I hope I didn't spoil anybody. I hope you didn't spoil it for anyone. I know it, but I really do believe that there's a Santa, and that's really what this talk is about. Uh, or it is, and each and every year you bring such incredible insight. And, and uh, Kay, I, I, we've known each other a very long time, and, and, and I think sometimes when I say things like that, it sounds like flattery to you, or maybe it sounds like flattery to, uh, to other people, but I, I'm not quite sure that you always understand uh, the importance of your work in the nonprofit sector and how people are drawn to you. And I just want to share uh, throughout the year a couple of times we've shared here on the show uh, sort of the, the battle royal that has been uh, going on uh, between three of our top uh, shows here on the nonprofit coach, and, and that is uh, Jen Phila and Helen Brown uh, speaking about prospect research. They were with us June 25th. Uh, Penelope Burke um, sharing with us the latest from the Cygnus Donor Survey. She was with us um, uh, the prior year, June 26th. Uh, and then your show last year here on the Nonprofit Coach um, Strategic Strategy uh, for the New Year. Um, those three shows have jockeyed throughout the year for uh, listeners, podcast listeners, to, to who would be on top for the year. And uh, uh, for several months, it was really interesting to watch the statistics because it had uh, shifted uh, around September. It had shifted to really 
a battle between K. Sprinkle Grace and Penelope Burke. Uh, and each and every week, uh, one of you would be on top by one or two listens. Sometimes <clears throat> maybe three listens uh, would separate the two of you, and, and one would be on top, and then the other would be on top. Well, Kay, I, I, I'm here to tell you that uh, you have pulled out in front uh, as uh, the, okay. the, the leader royal for, uh, for this, uh, this last year. Uh, and in no small measure, uh, you've done this, because while you were jockeying for number uh, one status for a, a better part of the year, uh, this last month, you have pulled ahead. You are the number one show of, of all time of the nonprofit coach, not just in the last year, Yes, in the last year, but of all time, uh, that show is now out in front with 82 listens more than Penelope Burke, who is in wow. second uh, for <laughs> all time. Penelope, great oh. friend of mine. So, um, so I, 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 I just want you to know that it's not it's not idle uh, flattery um, to say that to have literally tens of thousands of people. Uh, coming to listen to your podcast from last year, uh, that's obviously not just a couple of fans. That's not just a couple of loyal people who you know want to see your numbers go up. Uh, but that's people who get great value from what you bring to, uh, to this show. So that in terms of backdrop, um, I, I now want to give you an opportunity to reflect on your work and the advice that you have to set the stage for this show. Well, I actually, I was inspired um, by an article in yesterday's uh, New York Times as I was going over my notes for the show. And there's an article by Paul Krugman, uh, an op-ed piece, Why Inequality Matters. And I'd really like to use that as my organizing idea um, for this conversation um, because I do think that as we think of philanthropy's role today, and particularly year-end when we're focusing on gathering in the gifts that we um, then redistribute into our communities, we are looking at a way of redressing um, inequality through philanthropy. And I think whether you say Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Joyous Kwanzaa, or you're observing with seasonal reverence the winter solstice, it really doesn't matter because all of those celebrations celebrate the reminders of abundance, of the passages of another year, of the generous feelings in our heart. And it's all about a feeling that we sadly seem to set aside as the year wears on. You know, there's kind of an arc to all of this. Our giving is at year end because we want to give people the tax advantage, and yet, as we look historically at philanthropy, when you give people a forced choice list of 30 things that are reasons for them to give, the tax benefit comes out way down. It's like number 20. And so it's, it's an odd way that we've positioned this. So what I want us to think about is what are the aspects of philanthropy that align with this with the whole idea of giving, and how can we as a forceful sector, a forceful sector, the third sector, the voluntary sector, how can we perhaps extend this sense of redressing inequality through our work, through putting these gifts into the community? And I, I watched a film the other night, and I, I recommend it highly if you've never watched it, it's an old film. It's called Joyeux Noel. 
And it's about the in World War One, the armistice, the one night armistice on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day among the Scots and the Germans and the French. And it's a poignant film because all three of these battalions are punished for at that time playing soccer singing Christmas carols together, in other words, for not continuing to make war. And so the, the whole idea that struck me was that we in philanthropy have the most amazing opportunity to be a more powerful force than we have ever been. Because philanthropy, as you know, Ted, it not only creates abundance, but it comes from abundance. And like our holidays, philanthropy is a commemoration of belief because philanthropy is the love of humankind. It is the belief in the resilience of the human spirit and our power to offer opportunities that will lift individuals and societies to new levels, whether it's science or education or culture or medical, whatever it is, we can make that possible. And we think right now, you know, of the gift giving and whether you celebrate Christmas, which only gets, you know, one day of giving, or whether you celebrate Hanukkah, which gives you a lot more, or Kwanzaa, which gives you a week, or the winter solstice, you know, what it is is that we are all about giving. The holidays are all about abundance. So this is truly a commemorative holiday for us, but today everyone from President Obama to Pope Francis to Paul Krugman are saying we have got one of the biggest issues that our society has ever created, which is inequality. Now, inequality, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about an economic model, you know, and that's been tried and it didn't work. What I'm talking about is inequality of opportunity. And too often we focus on the inequality of outcomes, which is why we have poverty and wealth and the disappearing middle class. But what we as philanthropists can do is that we can, cre- we can increase the equality of opportunity so that we inform the equality of the outcomes. And, and that comes in so many different um, oh, forms. Yeah. I mean, that can be education, that can be healthcare, that can be the oh, environment. So, yeah. so it, it, it is at the heart of what it is to be charitable and to be involved in a nonprofit sector. Yeah, I mean, last night I was doing something in the kitchen and I turned on my little television. Hallmark is doing a different movie, original movie every night. And this one was called, I don't know, The Christmas Choir or something. But I, I put it on and it was all about the equality of opportunity. It was a homeless men's choir. And you looked and you thought, Wow, you know, there's really something here. I mean, we have to remember that philanthropy is voluntary action for the public good. So, and you, of course, I mean, you're head of an organization that measures philanthropy in three ways. You know, formal philanthropy, volunteering, and informal philanthropy. You have it really all those three things are what operates this time of year. So what can we, as instruments of philanthropy, do to keep us with the year-long joy of giving? 
And as you're aware, you know, I just received the Henry A. Rosso Medal from um, Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Much, and much, much uh, uh, earned and uh, a true reward for work well done. Well, it was one of the highlights, really, for me. And to remember with that audience Hank's wonderful uh, belief that uh, fundraising is the gentle art of teaching the joy of giving. And I shared a story there that when I went to the, uh, the Republic of Georgia, to Tbilisi a number of years ago, to conduct the first ever conference on philanthropy with two colleagues, um, they had on polo shirts, which written in, um, in Georgian, which is a unique language, in, you know, it's a Cyrillic language, I looked at it and I said, well, what does that say? And they said, oh, it says <laughs> fundraising is the gentle art of teaching the joy of giving. And I said, wow. And I told that story at, you know, when I accepted my award. So here we are. We have, this is our holiday. This is our season. This is the holiday. It's no wonder that we have National Philanthropy Day in November leading up to this giving. But my concern now is that we have got this global issue manifested largely here in the U.S., that we have the, this kind of this inequality of opportunity, which leads then to an inequality of outcomes. Now, and, we can and what are we doing as, as an industry, what are we doing individually uh, to do our part to add to the common good? Exactly. And, you know, the one thing that is really focusing me right now is why, as Gene Case said after the White House Conference on Philanthropy in 2012, she said that the high-impact investors are sitting on the sidelines Ted, are you aware that there are $45 billion in donor-advised funds in this country? Absolutely. Well, CAF America is a donor-advised fund. We manage uh, uh, principally uh, corporate foundation and uh, individual um, uh, donor-advised funds for international giving uh, principally and has grown tremendously over the last year. You're pushing it out, aren't you? Yes. Yes. In 2012, there were almost $14 billion added to these funds, which was an increase of 34.6%. My point is this. While they are being pushed out on an average at 16 to 17% a year, that there's a lot of money, as Gene Kay said, sitting on the sidelines. You know, the tax deduction has been given and I did a workshop uh, recently for a, um, an organization that, whose board is comprised of pretty prominent lawyers, you know, senior partners in the major firms. And it is a, um, it's a, it's a nonprofit law firm that, you know, provides aid to people, immigration and the seniors and everything. And when I mentioned this, there was a guy sitting there and he said, oh, yeah, he said, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand sitting at the um, <laughs> sitting at the you know Silicon Valley Community Foundation. He said I should give some of that away, shouldn't I? And I thought, yeah. And you could start with this organization, where I happen to know he gave a very modest gift every year. Well, and, and I think 
I think donor advised funds in, in particular are a big mystery for most fundraisers um, because they can't directly solicit them. They don't really understand uh, a check comes from because the donor is the donor advised fund. It's being advised by another donor, um, but uh, I think that that creates a mystery for most nonprofit or yeah, most nonprofit fundraisers. I, and what is beautiful is that, for instance, at you know, the Community Foundation Silicon Valley, one of their program officers on being invited to a field trip that one of my clients was doing that's an environmental organization, he called them and he said, I would love to come, but could I bring five of my donors that have donor advised funds because I think they would be interested too. And it was beautiful, and it netted, I mean, it resulted in quite a few pretty generous gifts coming from these donor-advised funds. So it is how do we work with it. But I think it's important for us to know, and maybe, maybe this is, you know, part of what I'm talking, you know, myself through at this point, that if we're to embrace this huge social issue of our globe, the equalization of opportunity, then we've got to come up with solutions. And... You know, nobody knows better than you, Ted, that my role, my focus in philanthropy is that we are all dream brokers, that those of us who work in philanthropy, we are dream brokers. We have the opportunity to look broadly through the windows of our communities and to see what needs to be done, to see what the next dream is. Is it a performing arts center? Is it another unit of, um, of housing for people who are working poor or homeless? Is it a child advocacy center in a city that has never had coordinated services? We look out there and we see those dreams. And then we turn to those that we have identified among our constituencies and we say, here's a dream and you can help make it happen. And I think that my concern is that we're not thinking big enough, that we have forgotten that big ideas equate to big investment, and that somebody who is constantly asked just to close the budget gap, I mean, I see letters that say as we approach year end, it's very important for us to close our budget gap. Please give whatever you can. How inspiring is that, Ted? Yeah, I mean, where, where have we as educators and trainers of fundraisers, how have we not gotten the message across that except in very rare instances does crisis fundraising inspire confidence in well-run nonprofits? Exactly. And if, I think that what has been missing a lot and this is, again, recession-influenced, recession-informed, is that we have had a time where scarcity has trumped abundance, where we were almost embarrassed to come from a position of abundance. And I, when, when clients say that to me or when participants in a workshop say that to me, I say, really? Are you aware that during the five years of the recession, that Stanford University raised $6.35 billion from 168,000 donors? I said, do you think they talked about their need for money? I said, no. What they talked about were these huge ideas they had for solving energy issues, environmental issues, 
K-12 education issues, and the other things that they highlighted in their campaign. What they took out to the community was this huge way of addressing the most challenging of our societal issues going forward. And, and, and Kate, I, I, I don't want to relieve our brothers and sisters in the fundraising profession of their responsibility to get this messaging right, but I, I think part of this drives back to boards of directors which oh, treat fundraising very much as a budget issue and not okay. as an inspirational or impact um, issue. And in, in hiring fundraisers with the issue of raising your own salary, paying your own way, um, helping fill a budget gap, the focus of fundraising moves very far away from the aspirational efforts of common or community good and goes directly to financial impact of cash and checks. That's right. And we have this whole, we have a goal displacement that, is, that persists and that goal displacement says, okay, Ted, you've got to go out and earn your salary. Really? Are you asking that teacher over there uh, in the learning disabilities class to raise her salary? Well, no, but that's not her job. Well, wait a minute, that's not my job either. It is yeah, one so, of the things Somehow we haven't, we haven't successfully... I'm sorry, what? Well, somehow we haven't successfully gotten that message across because, as you said, you, know, I mean, it, you and I have been talking about these sorts of issues for more than a decade. Right. Um, but yet, right. but yet these, these letters still go out, the, the sort of crisis approach to fundraising or just meeting a budget and not talking about right. impact, not talking about the value of, of the nonprofit. What do you do that creates a greater good? Why do you exist? And we've, we've had this discussion. I think it's one of the reasons that people you know, really focus in on the shows that, that I do with you because we're trying desperately to help people understand that the role of the fundraiser is to help tell that story of yeah, why this gotta, charity gotta, exists. Yeah, we've got to be able to translate you know, what we see out there into an idea big enough to get this money you know, flowing into our society. But you see, on the other hand, with and you know thank goodness for guidestar thank goodness for charity navigator thank goodness for the organizations that are really causing all of us to really get a lot smarter and as you say more efficient and more effective and you know ted i remember back and i'm sure you do too when united way actually served that purpose you know when i first started teaching fundraising school about 25 years ago I used to teach the budget class. I mean, it was not popular class, but nobody else wanted to teach it, and I was the new girl on faculty. And I'd say, okay, how many of you have a budget? Ted, about a third of them would raise their hands. Mm-hmm. But United Way demanded, in the heyday, you know, when it was at the top of the market, they demanded Top budget. of its power. Let's, let's say what it is, top of their power. Exactly. And so we have achieved a certain level, I think, of accountability, metrics, but I now want us to come back in this season of giving and abundance and say, look, folks, abundance is not evenly distributed. And I believe that in philanthropy we can redress that issue. And this is our big giving season, but are we exercising our dream broker role in a way that is directing gifts so that they make a difference. 
either by their quantity. I mean, like you're very successful and you bring in hundreds and thousands of gifts in a, at a year-end appeal, or their size. I mean, one of my clients got a $1.5 million annual gift. You know, I mean, this was just like, oh, this was absolutely fabulous because then what that goes into are the equalizers, education, art, science, medicine, health, you know, social issues. Or do we persist in a message of scarcity? Fill the gap. Help us meet our budget. And I know I've told that story before on, on the radio show, you know, about the guy at the hospital foundation who'd made a $7 million gift to another hospital while he was on the board of this one. And the new foundation director said, you know, I'm curious. How come? How come you didn't give it here, knowing that we needed a cancer center even more? He said, well, that's easy. He said, nobody here came to me with a $7 million idea. Right, he said, exactly. every year they asked me to close their budget gap. So I would write a check and I'd be done. And right. nothing how, ever changed. How as a donor do I know I'm going to make a difference? And meeting a budget gap is not making a difference. It Kay, certainly we're, we're, is I, not. It's just I wanna, not I wanna, I, I don't want to get overly... Now, on the one hand, I don't want to say don't balance your budget. Because I won't invest in you unless you show me that you are fiscally sound. Right, but Katie, you and I both know that by, by creating that vision, by, by speaking about impact, by knowing you're, the, the, you're going to raise the money so the budget will be met. It's when you turn it into a budget discussion that you start turning exactly. off donors. Exactly. So I think, you know, as we look at, at, this, at this holiday season, you know, we have to make sure that, first of all, Ted, that everybody who's listening truly believes in philanthropy that like my Victorian aunts whose eyes would twinkle maybe only at Christmas because they had been disciplined not to twinkle. Do you, do you fear, do you, it's, it's such an interesting thing you just said, do you fear that there are fundraisers, professionals um, who are in this business who actually do not believe in philanthropy? I think that they don't understand philanthropy. I think you're I, right about that. I believe that. that there is not enough emphasis on philanthropy and I my heart sings when I work with organizations who actually call their development executives they call them directors of philanthropy and where there is an understanding first of all that philanthropy as Bob the late Bob Payton taught us at the Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University that philanthropy is giving, asking, joining, and serving. It is all voluntary action for the public good. And I love to say to a board when I go in to work with them, thank you for being here today. Did you know you're exercising your philanthropy? Because you are giving your time, you're giving your service, and you have joined this board. And hopefully you're giving uh, uh, resources as well. And hopefully you're giving money as well. But, you know, there's that wonderful, I just bought a little book. In fact, I should send you one. I bought a couple of them. And it's it's on the the witticisms of Ambrose Bierce, who was a very cynical writer in the 20s and 30s. But Ambrose Bierce was once asked to say what a philanthropist was. And he said, it's a rich, white, old, bald man. And, you know, how far have we come People of color, women, I mean, people of all ages, 
we increasingly have these, you know, young philanthropy awards at our various national philanthropy days, young people who are doing extraordinary things, whether it's because their mother had breast cancer or because they saw the homeless and wanted to do something about it. Philanthropy is a natural impulse. That generosity of giving and what happens just as we lose sight of our mission when our organizational issues become so pressing on us, I believe we lose sight of philanthropy when all the technicalities of fundraising, when the pressure on us to bring in the money rather than... And that is a pressure for a lot of folks. Okay, I'm, oh, I'm watching good. the time. I do need to I take am a too, quick and break. I have a few more things uh, that I'm, I'm almost there. Um, so I want you all to believe in philanthropy and this, that this is the most transformational engagement to understand the fullness of philanthropy. And within that, to remember that all philanthropy is based in values. People do not give to, ask for, join, or serve any organization whose values they don't share. Look at your messages. Are they full of the values that you embrace and the values that will entice others? The third thing we need to remember is that fundraising is never about money. It's about relationships. And but what better time than the holidays to pick up the phone, go visit your donors, have them gather. I was on the phone last night with a longtime colleague of mine. He said they're having the largest turnout ever for their donor appreciation event, which is tonight. The largest turnout ever. And he believes it's because during this year, we worked together to implement a much finer focused stewardship program where the appreciation was ongoing. It wasn't just once a year. And now they've got over 100 people coming. And this is a senior services place, and these are families mostly, uh, some foundations, some families. But also, you know what? Give yourself. And I mean that in two cents. Give yourself into everything you do. Put yourself into it. But also open your wallet. Even if you're struggling, give. Because once you give then you know how it feels. Express and you will feel better. And yeah, you will exactly. feel better about your, yourself that, and the you know, world around you. Volunteers and donors live longer, so it's only on that. Right, but I exactly. think we need to do better at expressing our work in terms of how it promotes equality of opportunity for young people, for seniors, people with a passion for the arts. And first and last and foremost, I think, to celebrate abundance. Don't be afraid of success. Don't be afraid of it. Be very appropriately proud because, well, you know sure. what, at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about your impact, and guess who makes that impact possible? It is the donor who is attracted to you because you are efficient, effective, positive, high impact, and have messages that really stir me. So I think just in closing my part, what I'd just like to say is that I don't think there's a greater need that we can meet than providing equality of opportunity for people around the globe whose potential may otherwise never be realized. And remember that people give to you not because you have needs, but because you meet needs. It's Kay Grace's 
first principle of philanthropy. So however you celebrate your holidays, or as our Episcopal Cathedral here in San Francisco says, we welcome those of all faiths or none. Perhaps you or they don't celebrate at all, but the observance of this passage of the year, the winding down of another chapter in our lives, I think serves to inspire us to reflect, but also to envision a future that is better, not just for our organizations, but for our communities. And where I come from, philanthropy is the key. Through philanthropy, we can equalize opportunities for people throughout our country and globally if that's where you work. And Ted, I just want to say thank you and happy holidays. Absolutely. Um, well, we're, we're not quite done yet. I do want to ask you to weigh in on something. We're going to take a real quick break. We're going to come back. We'll have a few minutes left. When we come back, I want to ask you the flip side, I think, of some of the issues that you put on the table um, is because of the amassing of wealth, because of perhaps, and I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this, uh, not sufficient um, focus on impacts in communities and outcomes in communities. There are um, uh, today, uh, you'll see uh, recently, uh, article in the, the New York Times, tax breaks for nonprofit hospitals called into question. Right. Um, you'll, also, you'll also see uh, a, a opinion piece by Christian Science Monitor talking about um, giving to elite schools and art groups isn't charity, the, right. the amassing the of, of, of wealth. Yeah. So I want to ask you, and, and not to make this a, a religious, and, but it is a holiday time, but, but thinking back to some of the things recently said by Pope Francis, another organization that perhaps had not been as of, of, of late uh, terribly focused on the, the impact, but focused on other issues, amassing a lot of wealth, perhaps focusing more on the needs of the poor and impacts in communities. Are all these things tied together, and what is the role of nonprofits going forward when we have these topics out there? Do we put our head in the sand and say, of course not, absolutely not, amass more wealth, or is there a time that's coming that impact is going to be called upon more important or charitable status will not be as automatic as it yeah, has been? I, we'll be I, right back. I, and I invoked Pope Francis earlier. You take your break, and we'll talk about that in a second, okay? I want to get your input on that. We'll be right back. Okay. We're going to make this a very quick break because we only have about five minutes uh, when, uh, to get back to Kay Sprinkle Grace. That's how much we fill up the time when we have her with us. Just to remind you that we will be back live next on January 14th. So Happy New Year, everyone, with Claire McDowell um, talking about socially good. I think that picks up on a lot of what Kay is talking about today. Uh, and then January 28th, Kristen Bullock is going to be with us, uh, the Essential Fundraising Handbook for non for small nonprofits, and those are uh, just a couple of the very interesting topics that we'll be covering uh, in the new year. We're going to race right back with Kay Sprinkle Grace. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. 
Okay, I want to give you uh, uh, all of the five minutes to weigh sure. in on sort of these these calls for charity to mean something. Yes, and and I think that we we tread on kind of the values basis when we begin to say one thing is charitable giving and one thing is not. And it says that we're looking through a prism that says that the, the, the social needs are such that that constitutes charity, but an elite university like Stanford or Harvard or Brown or a, and a large arts organization like the Metropolitan Museum that people are, quote, buying a certain position. And I completely disagree. I disagreed when this came up earlier. There was a book that came out many years ago uh, that brought up the same point. I don't think that we have um, any business questioning what some people value. And I think that it is as important to keep our educational model strong and our arts model strong because after all, Ted, you know, public support, even for state universities. I remember working at the University of Colorado, oh gosh, many years ago now, and it was the first time I heard a dean say, we've gone from being state-funded to state-supported to state-located. And because there is no public funds, there are no public funds, then what's happened is that private money has gone in. And so the elites are not only the private universities, but the top you know, research public universities like the University of California system, University of Colorado, and others. The arts, need I tell you that even 15 years ago, that the combined funding that came for public broadcasting, NEA, NEH, and the museum program in that year, and I forget what year it was, was less than the budget for the city of Berlin that they had for their arts programs. So this has been a natural magnet. In equalizing opportunity, what we need to do is position the organizations that are dealing with poverty and hunger and homelessness and jobs in as enriching a position as possible in our communities. And what I mean by this is that we need to get across the idea that your community is less abundant when people in the community do not have equal opportunity. And so immediately, of course, people say, well, wait a minute, it's my money, I can do exactly what I want with it. And you know what? They're right. So here's what I think. Is, and this is why I speak again to your audience, to our colleagues around the world. It's simply this, we need to make our case better. I believe that if we made our case better, I mean, you look at somebody like George Soros, who gave a huge gift to the city of New York, and who, of course, through open society, has helped rebuild Eastern and Central Europe. The point is, is that our messages for the arts and education, particularly higher education, have this patina to them. I mean, they are just, it, there is an element of glamour and polish and perfection. And our messages about the, the hungry, the homeless, have a different look. Years ago, I did a campaign for St. Boniface Church here in San Francisco, which is in the heart of the Tenderloin. 
And one of our wonderful philanthropists, the late Al Wilsey, said to me when he read the case statement, which was all about the spiritual religious reasons for, you know, preserving this church, he said, Kay, he said, write me one that I can take to a bank or a corporation or, you know, the Hilton Hotel. And he said, in that, I want you to say that when one part of your city is not healthy, then the city itself is not healthy. Yeah, what a great Very inspiring for me. And yeah. I And isn't feel, that what every nonprofit needs to do across their own communities? Exactly. We need to lift. And the problem is that we tell the stories of need instead of telling the stories of impact. We don't focus on the fact that in our uh, homeless and, and low-income housing, we have these success stories. These people Great. got hey. jobs. Okay, I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to say we've got uh, out of time. How can my listeners reach you? They can reach me at www.kgrace.org or at k sprinkle grace, which is e l sprinkle k sprinkle grace at aol.com. And we have uh, provided a link to your site in the radio links today at tedhart.com. And k sprinkle grace, thank you again for a thought-provoking, wonderful holiday show. Uh, I'm already looking forward to next year, and uh, congratulations on being the number one rated show in the history of a nonprofit coach. Happy holidays. Merry everybody. Happy holidays. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.